I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you troubled by stale podcasts in the middle of the night? Do you love films that feature the busting of spooks, specters, or ghosts? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Ghostbusters Resurrection is an RPG audio drama combining tabletop gaming and cinematic paranormal elimination adventures. Call the professionals at nerdyshow.com slash ghostbusters. We are ready to believe you. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. It contains content that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. All Nerdy Show podcasts are made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Discover the many ways you can join in at nerdyshow.com. All right, our 28th design episode. It feels like just yesterday we were at 10. And here today it's uh, it's it's me, Josh, and Liam. Hey, everybody. Two hombres. Dos hombres. Max couldn't make it today, but but we've got some stuff to discuss. I think we can make a little headway here. This is a nuts and bolts episode, mm-hmm. more than anything else. And uh, we need one of those every once in a while. Now that we've played enough of it, we, we got it. We got a real game here. Oh, there's. I think this this is almost like you know you throw your math stones, you add the numbers, you read the runes, and I think at the end of the day, it is it is a game. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I don't know if you're privy to this information. After last session, I got home. Started unwind, and then I got a text from Andrew. Oh, okay. And he was like, "I want to run a game." I did get a message from Andrew. He wants to jam now. Yeah, and they, uh, he said off air. So sorry, folks, but I'd be interested. Yeah, in yeah. Just, in playing, how about this? Playing a game that we don't record and just enjoying it. That would be that would be good too. I mean, we are definitely enjoying this. But Liam and I have been playing another game. Yes, we have. Recently, we we picked up Magic: The Gathering, which fans of the cutting room floor. Uh, we'll know that we've spoken about about wanting to do this, but we did it. We took the plunge, and we started playing Commander, which is a format of Magic the Gathering, where you pick a creature, a legendary creature as your commander, and your whole deck is built around that. And uh, it's a lot of fun, and we did it for inspiration because if you want, like, complexity and, you know, similar but different game mechanics across... Unintended interactions. Yeah. Fun combos. Hybrid mechanics. like and But it, there's also a fun amount of, especially in Commander, because you can do tribal decks, there's almost some role play into it where like you start thinking like, oh, yeah, this is, I'm a tree mage. I make trees. This is where I'm at. And the deck, uh, the deck I just built. I have two decks that are very, almost tell a story while we're playing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've got the Marchesa deck that I just built where she's a, uh, the picture of her card shows her poisoning the king. She has a mechanic called Dethrone, which which buffs people and allows her to bring them back from the dead if they die. And her entire deck is built around filling the streets, basically, with goblins and a zombie army. All the goblin cards say things like Bedlam and, you know, like Mayhem. And and then she's got things like her Decree. And then there's zombies. and Chaos. Yeah, and then all the zombie cards talk about invasion. So it's a, thematically, it's like if Marchesa has shown up to the city or the lands that your uh, your deck represents, it's 
it's bad news. She's 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 trying to take over. Uh, and the other one is uh, Zancha sleeper agent as a yes. commander. And she's basically you just give her to somebody else as their creature, and then she has an ability that damages her controller and allows that person to draw an extra card, which is it, mechanically. It is often worth it for the person who is controlling her to be willing to spend that two life to use her ability against themselves to draw a card. Because she has the three best words in magic. Draw a card. Yeah. You you can have worse cards, but as long as you have more of them. But, uh, you know, if our game's called Artifacts, what has more artifacts than Magic the Gathering? I mean, there's just enormous amounts of cards that are artifacts that perform one specific function. Yeah. And it's just, it's been a fun aside to kind of break outside of the... Uh, the scope of D and D, and even out of theater of the mind. Yeah, uh, uh, just to just to look at a game that is raw mechanics with just story flavor. I am I am curious. So the the more I get into so so the idea of magic is that you are a planeswalker. That yes. is that's what you are, and what that means is that you travel, but then you like exploit the lands of that area for mana. You like suck it up from the earth. I don't think it's that you suck it up. It's that the amount of area you control the mm. stronger you are well that makes sense but yeah you're not like because it, it untaps it's mm-hmm. it, there are cards where you are definitely pilfering the yeah. resources but yeah no the yeah i think the idea is just the more area you control the more attuned to the plane that you are that you're on the stronger you get and the more things you can pull off yeah and as a mechanic there are planeswalker cards and they're not creatures nope they just have spells that they they have things that increase their value and decrease their value, and each planeswalker has different things like that. I got to be honest, I th- I feel like, and I'm brand new to this. Like uh-huh. I, you know, I'm I'm brand new to magic. I feel like that mechanic does feel so bolted on by comparison to all the other mechanics well, intrinsic. It is very new. It's very new, but there's it 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 does feel so alien that um. I don't know. I, I think I think if Planeswalkers disappeared tomorrow, nobody would care that much. Like, they would, story-wise, because people have their favorites and they think they're cool, but, like, there's a card to do everything a Planeswalker does, except for tracking the loyalty of your... Like, s- some Planeswalkers are way too powerful, but their cost is disproportionate. I don't know. It's just, it's just a completely separate game you're playing, almost, while you're playing. Yeah, but that's almost why I like it. I like it thematically. I like it in how it works in the lore. It's already started the gears turning as far as... There is stuff to mine there. Even just, even just inspiration that I got this card for my Marchesa deck it is super complicated. <laughs> what was it called? It's called Cruel Ultimatum. And it's two blue, three black, two red. Damn. <laughs> Target opponent. So what it does is that your, your opponent sacrifices one of their creatures, discards three cards from their hand, and loses five life. And then it reverses. You... Return a creature from your graveyard to your hand, draw three cards, then gain five life. That's such a huge swing. Yeah, and it and it's a cheap card because it's so specific for mana cost. It's hard to it's hard to bring out. Well, anyway, I immediately look at that and, and and say death. Like oh yeah, some equivalent of that is a death ability in our game. These three things happen and then it reverses and comes back to you. Or maybe that's a zealotry ability. Yeah. There could be a version of that for zealotry and a version of that for death. Death I almost focuses think it would, on the life. I was going to say, I almost think it would be reverse. Like, zealotry is you. good things happen to you, bad things happen to your enemies. Mm-hmm. And death is bad things happen to your enemies, so good things happen to you. Yeah, exactly. Immediately, you see inspiration for that. That could just be a daily somebody gets. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, as far as the whole getting into magic thing, if you want a master class in interlocking game design, 
I, I don't know if there's anything better to study. Just be like, oh, this is how stuff should feel. Yeah, but however, it is not a good lesson in balance. No, but or is it? No. I think it might be. How easily would it be for you to build a deck that cannot lose in, in Commander? I'll tell you how easy. It would cost you $10. Unless you built a deck specifically to beat it. I don't think you can. You can. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, if you build, if you build a deck that's specifically to beat it, but then... It will never win any other game, but, but that's it'll not, win that one. But that's not balance. Like, you, I can't show up with my deck to any group and expect to play the same game everybody's playing. Yeah, but I, but we, I think what we're... I think there is an important lesson there. One, expectations. We talk about session zero, I think, in any play group yeah. with those cards. You're going to need... With, with Commander. Now, Commander, yeah. the game isn't built around Commander. But um, with, with basic magic, there, there's a disproportionate amount you have to spend usually in, designed into the yeah. game there's a disproportionate amount uh, amount you have to spend if you want to have a competitive deck yes so that is an intentional imbalance in the game design for profit probably yeah absolutely Definitely. they don't put print equal amounts of every cards they have cards that are more rare than others so that's and and the cards that are more rare they try to design them so that they're more necessary for a competitive deck but regardless it's fun oh so much yeah. fun the nice thing for play and I, and I don't want to play standard. Yeah, the nice thing for uh, yeah, not anymore. There's nothing wrong with that game. It's just for Commander is so much more fun. I'm excited to see the what the inspiration does when we get to our homework, which we're not going to do today because Max isn't here. And um, even though we've done the homework, it seems that even just explaining our idea has made it a more collaborative process. Oh, getting kind of nailing down a couple mechanics too. Well, so, yeah, it's always a loose sketch, and then someone adds a couple lines, a little bit of color, and you're like, oh, this is a real thing now. I was thinking about GM topic mm-hmm. that uh, I run into as a GM and a player where you're trying to do some exposition and the players don't know what to do. And then you're like, well, you could X, Y, Z. And they just say, we do that. That's not what you want as a GM. Like you generally, usually you're just like, fine. Okay. Yeah, you do. I'm telling you everything to do. And the players are just kind of sitting there looking at you waiting for direction. I think it's easy as the GM to get frustrated at the players for not taking the initiative and not driving but looking back on these interactions i think it is a fault in gm style it is a hole you've driven yourself into and you don't realize it yeah so normally we like to spread the blame when something's not going right in a campaign we like the players to take some responsibility for that yeah because this is a collaborative thing but i do think when you run into this issue it is your fault <laughs> this is generally if your players are trying or they're looking at you and not at their phones and they're still just saying okay we do that this is your fault what's happening is that they don't see any of the possibilities you see the world you've created in your head and it and it's full of things and options and you haven't you haven't given those things life so that they feel like they're real so they see a very narrow path and you've led them in story wise you've led them into this room that's a circle and they're just waiting for you to describe the door yeah, I'm saying this is a metaphor. Like, you know, this could be a story moment or anything. Uh, but you're just, you're describing a room, and there's nothing to do in the room. And then you're like, well, there's a door, and you're like, okay, we go through the door. You know, <laughs> it's like that's what we do. This is your fault. Before we get to solving it, let's talk about all the ways that create this moment. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the ways this happens is sometimes there is so much of a feast of choice that differentiating the value between them becomes. Absolutely. So hard to calculate. We're like, what is the difference between all of these options? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, figure it out. And you're like, oh. 
and then you're just kind of overwhelmed by choice. And you're like, just the simplest thing then. Yeah. I, I, so it, in the Feast of Choices, where it's too difficult to do anything, you do want your players to have a hard time deciding between options, but not for this reason. Yes. Not, not because there's, they're, they're valueless. You want the, the decision to be difficult because of the multiple things they want to happen. So how do, you, how do you get past that? For this specific thing, I would say the easiest thing to do is give them a contact point for addressing each. It doesn't have to be, a, it's not a solution, because if you give them a solution, they say, we do that. Yeah. But if you say, uh, uh, somebody was murdered, it's the, the son of a duke, and my police are, are trying to stop the riots that are in the streets. I could really use some help investigating. I'm only going to send one detective. And they'd be like, I don't even know where to start. That's one problem. Let's say you've got six problems like this. Yeah. And, and then you describe it like that. You say, I can't assign any more police to it than I already have because we're on the verge of having riots. Contact the detective who's working the case, but he's a bit overloaded. Yeah. That's it. You don't have to do anything else. Now, they have a contact. You can start describing the other problem. The detective isn't the solution. He's just there to describe the nature of the problem that they could choose to adopt. And then from that interaction, they'll get more information. So don't don't leave them without that contact. Don't leave them to ask around about – give them at least one way – of starting to address the problem without them having to search for it. Yeah, and you can always see when when you do this naturally, one of the things you'll find is they'll leave the room and then go, hey, if we just know where the Duke's son was murdered, you want to just go there first yeah. and investigate it without even making the contact? Sometimes they'll solve the problem and then show up to the contact and they'll be like, we got it, we solved it. And he's like, what? What? Uh-huh. Yeah, that, well, think about how it feels to be... So you're a GM, you're listening to this advice and you're like, I don't see the difference. And I probably would have said something similar. But from the player's perspective, they're like, here's this problem that sounds like it doesn't have an answer. And in all seriousness, we may not yeah. discover it. Okay, fine. That's a nebulous issue. And then the moment you give them, you're like, okay, there is a detective assigned to it. And that detective is working on it. So as a player, you hear, okay, this is something that's happening whether or not we go do it. There is somebody to talk to. Do we want to talk to them? I don't know. And then they, they've already built the world of this problem yeah. in their head in a way that wasn't there before. As soon as you give them a path through the woods, then they will start seeing their own trails. Because they know where they could go, they can see other ways of getting there. Yeah. If your conversation ends and that's the only option they get from it, if they say there's a murder and there's a contact, they will say, we do that. You got to give them more options, give them points of contact for each, and let them argue about it, which is great. Yeah. That's what you want. You don't want them sitting there staring at you, waiting for you to say the thing that they have to do next. So that's one of the cause. Like one of the causes is too few options, too many options. Yeah, where, where where you know the human brain just doesn't like making choices in those situations. So the the too few options. But I'm saying there's a there's a definite other thing which is just straight up plot exhaustion. Yeah, where you've you've paced it wrong and you just got done doing a thing, and rather than there being a fight or something that feels gratis, gratifying or, or satisfying. It kind of just fizzled, either based on roles or something that happened, and, and, and that's going to happen. So it's important after those moments to, to recharge your players, get them reengaged to the point where they're, they're not looking to rush through the, you know, skip this cutscene kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel that um, a good solution for that one, which is, which is hard as a GM when you're trying to set up like multiple complicated storylines yes. that are overlapping, a good solution for that one is to let them win one. And I don't mean fudge your roles. I don't mean let them win the combat. I mean, when they win, the bad guy doesn't get away. Yeah. When they tried to save the person, they don't die of poison opening another plot thread. They just win, and they can celebrate. You give them time to celebrate. You, you say, well, what do you want to do? The world is your oyster, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And then, like, a week can pass, 
and now here's a new plot thread yeah. related to it. But you got to let them win, and that'll they're going to stop looking at every opportunity like it's like it's a poisoned apple. Like I'm I'm a hundred percent guilty of this one for groups that I've run where every victory has a little like. A little hidden knife a little, in it. A little jab. Because I want them to move on to the next thing that I've got planned that I'm really excited for. And and this is like, you give them the clue immediately. And that's cool, but sometimes just, just let them win. They're the hero. They did it. They'll find something else later, but let them have it. We didn't really talk about what to do when you have too few options. Okay. How you as a GM can fix this. Okay. It's okay if you as a GM don't have a lot of extra things they can do. But the reason why they're staring at you blank-eyed is because they don't have a picture of what their characters actually see or feel. I think an easy way to start addressing this is that every time they enter a new area, you start giving them an establishing shot. You say, instead of like, this is a room with XYZ, you start with the biggest, go small. If you're going to put them in a, they discover ruins in the woods, you would say, and you step into a clearing and you see you know, this beautiful clearing, the sun shining through onto some stone ruins. And the stone ruins have, you know, they're bent at odd ways and vines are, are hanging over them. And there's a, you see little animal paths that walk through the ruins and uh, birds chirp and butterflies flit through the air. And at the end of the ruins, across from you is an opening that looks like it leads down to a cave. And there's, there's a halberd leaning up against the, one of the stone ruins that like it's only just started to rust. What GMs will tend to do is they will get what they want across which is got stone ruins, there's an opening at the entrance, and then there's a weapon leaning up against the, against the rock. Well, that's all fine, but the, the players care about what kind of weapon because yeah. they, they need to be able to see what they're looking at. You need, you need to give them a picture of what it is, and that means describing what the weapon looks like and not just there's like a pile of weapons. Tell them what, what they are. Tell them all of these things because it's not, you know it's not important what they are, but if they can't see it, it's not real. Yeah. And doing it from big picture to small detail is really useful because another thing I I will see sometimes in GMing is they will lead with the important details and then put the filler in afterwards. But that can go very awry because your players will often fixate on the last fucking thing they heard no matter what. And then they'll be like, this is very important, the snake drawing, because it was the last thing mentioned. That's the stinger on it. And they're like, no, no, that's not important. Look at the door, fuckers. What are you doing? Yeah, because you you if you imagine you walk into this this thieves den and there's an office. You would want to say like, and there seems to be a theme. There's like a painting of poisonous animals, and there's a drawing of a snake on the table, and there's there's old books on the shelves about poisons and stuff. Now they're not focused on your snake drawing. They yeah. they see that it's 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 an image. This yeah. is what they're they're just meant to see the image. And then there's a person. You describe the person. This works for characters too. By the way, this is this is not what we're talking about, but. Bigger to smaller is, is is how you should describe characters as well. You should talk about the biggest characteristics to the smallest. So you should start with their things like their height, their clothes, and then work down to their age and then gender, race, things that would yeah. be very, very obvious and then go down to specific details that make them an individual. Do this for your locations and do this for your NPCs. And this will solve a lot of those because if we walk into that room and you don't give us any direction, if you've described the room well enough, we feel like we're like, all right, I'm going to go over and pick up the snake drawing. I'm going to start thumbing through the books. I'm yeah. going to, you know, we, we immediately feel like we can move around in here. It's, it's like an adventure game when you start hovering them, like you just start hovering the mouse over things that look mm-hmm. interesting. And you're like, I don't know if there's anything here. I'll find it though. I'm going to smell, I'm going to smell this thing. You know, the more real you make a location will be in the order in which you describe things. And, and that will solve the we do that. So for GMs, 
when there's too few options, always describe things big to small. And then when there's too many options, try to always give them a passive point of contact for each, whether mm-hmm. they want to use it or not. Liam, you had something to say about the yeah, player well, side. Yeah, and all right, now you're a player. This has happened a couple times with your GM. You don't want to have a direct conversation with them about it. You're just going to see if you can feel it out. Don't be afraid to ask broader, specific questions, because every once in a while you'll be in this situation where like, you don't really know what to do, and you can just ask one or two questions, and then the GM will realize, oh, I forgot this thing, or I didn't mention this enough, or I didn't highlight this enough, and it'll kickstart them to understand your point of view, and then they can get the ball rolling again. GMs can stonewall you on this, and it's happened. Yes. But but you're not wrong for asking. No. So, so your character walks into a room, let, let's say we walk into this thieves' den that we're talking about, and this guy's behind the counter, and he's like, hey, I got a job for you, blah, 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 blah. It's not wrong to be like, do I, do I feel like this guy is just a skeevy dude in general? Like, I, I wouldn't trust him. And your GM could be like, well, give me a roll. But like, you don't need to roll for that. Like, no. this is, you would get the feeling if you're standing in the room. Unless he's, being deceptive or it's if, if something's obvious you should ask for the obvious stuff like can yeah. you give me the obvious stuff about this how i'd feel you know like 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 not don't tell my character what to think but any reasonable person would get this impression yes like that's what i want to know that helps as a player it helps steer your gm into leading with those things next time good players train good gms good gms train good players i mean truth be told if you're playing pickup games this is this is going to be tough but um yep. if you know so if you GM and you think about these things, it'll make you a better player in those moments when you're not getting enough information. You can steer your GM. To learn how you need information to be given for you to make decisions. I feel like that's the GM portion. Although, also, if you have any important GM questions, contact us on, on Facebook or Patreon. Ask ask us the hard stuff, and we'll, we'll get to it next episode. Tweet us at Homebrew Hombres. Okay, so I, I kind of I'm kind of bringing out the Nerf bat yeah. uh, on on a couple of things here, and um, I think that I think this one's going to be uncontentious. I feel like we need to give champions some light nerfs. I agree, because I think part of it isn't just champion. I think two handed weapons are so much fucking better than one handed weapons. Really, it's ridiculous. Just the way that and it, and it's not that. It's just that the top scale is is a little heavier because like what's a one handed spear damage a d eight is that a d eight or no the it's the a d six d six the one handed spear what's a two handed spear well the same spear is yeah. either is either a d six or a d twelve mm-hmm. depending on one or two hands yeah so it doubles and you also double your strength yes which is real good I don't think it's, that spear should be so much better with reach compared to a two handed sword hmm. it's just that it is quite a jump. Yeah, I think the two-handed sword might be just too weak. I I, th- I I do think that that might actually be more of the issue. I would just slide the the two-handed weapons with reach down a tier, just uniformly. That makes sense. So they kind of cross over, where, you're like, where it feels like you're picking between reach and not, reach and a little bit of damage mm-hmm. in the two-handed realm, rather than reach and more damage. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm not, and it's and it's it's a very small margin. It's just that our game has very small margins. Now that we have the dice tier system, it's easier to envision that. Yeah, that as a sliding scale. Um, I, I don't I don't disagree. I don't think that two handed weapons are, are are too powerful. I think reach might put them over the top. Yeah. currently that's. Uh, I have no complaints on two handed swords or the the even Hoda's hammer. Yeah, is <laughs> is sick. The reason why champion. Well, okay, so so two handed weapons versus one handed weapons power scale. Let's say. Same weapon type. Yeah. Let's go same weapon type for each of these discussions, okay? You've got four strength, because that's, that's the most you could conceivably have yes. at, at level zero. 
you have a two-handed hammer. It does... 2d6? It does 2d6, and I think a one-handed hammer does a d10. Yeah, that's fine. So it's 2d6 plus 8. Yeah, which is heavy. Mm -hmm. Or 1d10 plus 4. I think that's fine. That's fine. That's representative, I think. And and axes, it would be be d8 plus 4, or uh, one-handed, d12 plus 8, two-handed. And and part of the conversation would be dual strike and understanding that if you're using a one-handed weapon... Probably there's a shield in your other hand. Yep. Or else you wouldn't. Or you're using a rapier and you want to keep that hand open. Or you're a spellcaster and yeah. you want to cast one-handed. Yeah. It, it, you're you're gaining something for having that open. Yes. Hand. The balance around it is the only balance portion where I'm where I would be concerned around. I think is double strike. Is does double strike do enough to close the gap where you wouldn't be upset that you're not using a two-handed weapon? I think it does. I, I think it does for procs and having two possible weapons with mm. enchantments and well imagine um double strike you've got let's do swords yeah. okay so we're really dropping the tiers here so d6 one-handed weapon you do double strike and you hit with both yeah you have because you drop your strength damage off of one attack you've done 2d6 plus four, four. it's pretty good yeah with uh, a two-handed weapon this is where this is where we need a nerf champion a little yeah. bit. <laughs> two handed weapon. With, so two handed sword, it'd be a D ten plus eight. It'd be a D ten plus eight, but you you'd be using overwhelming strike strike because so that's be the double D10 strike equivalent plus a D six plus eight. Yes, which actually that's okay, um, except for with the current dice tier system, overwhelming strike is too good. So here's here's where overwhelming strike needs to be nerfed. Overwhelming Strike and Helmet Splitter, I think, need to both come down. Uh-huh. From Overwhelming Strike is your damage class plus 10. I think plus 5 is still more than enough motivation to use it. Oh, yeah. And I think that Helmet Splitter, we can drop it. It's at, it's at plus 25 tiers. I think we bring it down to 15. Try- still still sick. Or even just 20. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? I always want to, especially doing this, I'd rather... Like a softer nerf? I I'd rather soft nerf things. I don't want to I don't want to break them the other way because then I feel like you're going to overcompensate the other way. I'd rather bring it down slowly and hit the spot where you're like, ooh, that feels good. Mm-hmm. And in doing things, I think over designing it and then taking it back is a lot easier than under designing it and trying to to push it to to get it where it needs to go. Okay, so let's do overwhelming strike because it's just an at will. You'll you'll do it every turn if you can. Yeah. Bring it down to a a plus five to your damage class on this hit. And Which is to to talk about that math- mathematically is roughly going to be five extra damage for an at will. Well, compared to a basic melee attack it'll, on average, it, it'll average between like two and a half to four, depending on the jumps between. Oh, because it's a half for every. Okay, it it, it jumps between half and one, so mm-hmm. it'll be between like two and a half and four extra damage. So you'd always choose to do it, and it and it would still be good. But I want to try that out for a little bit because right now it is oppressive. Yes. Overwhelming strike is nuts. And I also think that um, Helmet Splitter is just... It needs to be nasty. It is. Like... It, right now... Okay, so so if I'm a warrior with three strength, I'm going to do 2d6 plus 6 on a granted attack. Yep. We're not even... That's not, that's not Overwhelming Strike. And now we're going to add 5. It's now a d12 plus a d6 every turn. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, that you would choose to do that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it brings, you to, it brings you to tier 12. Okay, so... That's good. Plus five, great. Overwhelming strike instead of plus ten, which would have made it, which currently makes it two d eight plus a d six. It's just it's just a little too much. Um, and if you go up, so right now 
Helmet Splitter is 2d12 plus a d8 for that same matrix because it's... No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's more than that. That's 20. Uh, It's 25. So plus 25 Uh would take you to 3d10 plus a d6 for Helmet Splitter. That is sick. Yeah. If we bring it down to 20, it brings it down to 2d12 plus a d8. Which is... That's a hefty hit. It's It hits hard. But you're only doing it a scene. Yep. Again, that's something you're going to choose to do probably every scene, unless you're keeping it in your back pocket for, for some reason. Yeah. So I feel... So, so now let's go down to the your scoundrel. Yeah. Your core scoundrel, step one champion, and you just use daggers for double strike. For some reason, let's say you don't have one of your daggers out because you want to do something else. You want to do overwhelming strike. It brings it to... A D10. You'll do it. That you, you turn your dagger into a D10, and then you're still doing sneak attack? Yeah. Great. You do a helmet splitter. It brings you to 2D10 and a D6. That's still sick. Yeah, that's great. Okay. I feel I feel good about that. If it needs to be moved or shifted further, it's easy to just change the tier. Yeah. Okay. The other nerf that needs to come to champion is that we doubled up on an effect for them. We buffed challenge so that it affects the, car- the target they're currently challenging. Uh-huh. And not the next one after that one dies. And that means we need to remove their plus one to hit with all melee weapons. I think champion, the challenge gets you your, your plus one. Yeah. You should be able to use it with bows and all that. So the extra with melee, it's it, it's not it's not important. So removing that plus one with all melee weapons. And then I feel like... It makes the math simpler too. It does. Because rather than going like, okay, I have a challenge. That's so plus two to hit, plus one to damage. You can just go, it's plus one, plus one. Yeah. Done. So... That's all I had for champion that I want to yeah. adjust. Next, I'm, I'm hovering the nerf bat over, is troop assessment for command, where as a swift action once per day, you bring somebody back to full health. Okay. Any health on a dead person is amazing, right? Yep. It brings the, it, it, It's fantastic. But right now, I think it's a swift action. Um, I think it should take your attack action to, like, assess them and yeah. bring them up. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You wouldn't be like, get up, and then you run off and go... You didn't spend enough time. You have to pick them up. Yeah. So let's do change that to an attack action. And I think right now it's full health. Do you think they should be able to? Ro- they should have to roll the health they they receive back. No. I mean the 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 thing is, I do want it to be more effective for casters than tankier fighters because mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to put a system in it so that you feel like you would want to use it because it would be overall more health. Like you're just looking for a bigger number. Mm-hmm. So I think it should be half. The commander's health. Hmm. I don't think that translates in world. The commander can't give you half his health. Like, it's not like... The only way I could see the amount of the commander's health mattering is if he had a way to drain it and give it into you. I guess. But I I would would almost say it's like, he is imparting his fighting spirit to you. Right. And he doesn't lose anything by it. But it's it's how, how hardy and tough he is, is how hardy and tough you get to be. Well, that that's how we use the other healing mechanics would be appropriate here is you roll and add composure Uh right like his composure is what is what gives it gives it to them how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So I don't think, I don't think it rolls out of place. If we, if we assign it to a dice tier, uh-huh. it scales with you. Yeah. Hmm. But how much? Half level, the, level, half, level zero. Half, half the character's health plus tier one. No, I think I think just dice plus your composure. Okay, because your composure is the thing that's giving them this back because because you are being you are like imparting into them that they can keep going. Okay, what's the minimum and maximum health you can have at level zero? Twenty is a minimum. Thirty is a maximum. Okay. Um, so we're looking for t- in the ten to fifteen range something something that could do that. Let's say a fourth of the time. Yeah, in, well, if you include your composure, right? So, yeah. so let's say. Um, well, that would be the let's let's at least conceive of the composure being able to cover the spread of twenty to thirty. That's the thing that's covering that. Oh, that's that's a lot. You'd have to have an enormous amount of composure. I was thinking, what's an average of ten? So that would be. So let's drop. Let's let's imagine a composure of two. Uh huh. Okay. So you want to bring somebody to fifteen health? You have to. Two d six plus composure. Well, then you're two d six. You're you're rolling an average of four, uh-huh. so plus two would be six health. That's not enough. But it could be up to fourteen health. So it's gotta, it, that's got to be a little higher. Let's go to. I, I agree. Let's go to the dice tier. And what's so two d six? Move her up four. Where where where's what's four up from that? Two d eight. That seems comfortable. So let's, let's do the math. That's um, an average of. That's an average of five plus two, so an average of seven, as low as four, as high as eighteen. That eighteen might be too high. <laughs> You're probably not going to hit eighteen, and you need good composure for that. I, I think two two d eight feels good because because man, you use it, and it's it's a daily, and if you get four. You got. You always have to be careful of the feel feel bads. Okay. Well, how about this? How about tier eight? Okay. It's three d four. It raises the minimum. Okay. To three plus your composure. Mm-hmm. A minimum of five. Uh huh. And a maximum of with two composure, a maximum of fourteen. Okay. I think that feels reasonable. You're waking up regardless. What if we double composure? Because <sighs> then, it, okay, if I have four composure, yeah, that becomes. That becomes 3d4 you plus to, 8. You have to dump so much to composure and do so very little else. There are very good reasons to do that, though. Yeah. I mean, I mean, And this should be one of them, maybe? Well, I mean, if, if you do that and then you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just core core command, step one ice. Ooh. You know, that like that, that 
for composure that you dumped into it for command, which you, sh- you should be dumping into other things for command. Yeah. I, 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 d- I don't want to incentivize composure to, to be a primary stat for command for this reason. Okay. If that makes sense? Yeah. I think... Th- so ima- l- imagine we're playing. You drop. Troop assessment comes up. Your rolls minimum. You still get five. Yeah. And you're awake. Like, you're still in the fight. You can still do stuff. I. That's minim- That's absolute minimum. So... Okay, how about this, though? Can we have a single turn after effect that just makes you a little more defensed? So you can't just be... Because if, if you get the minimum, the idea that you're getting dropped again immediately is high. How about... How about your composure plus their endurance? I like that, too. And also that scales. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the dice tears with scales. But I'd also like to add a dodge for a turn. Just to make just to make the likelihood of, oh, I brought you back up. I rolled minimum. Mm. Oh no. And now one, you have two injuries. Because of the way the injury stack, because because if you roll poorly on heals from zero, I, it might have been just better to let you lie and then do a big heal. I think I, I think I got the answer. They can ignore their condition for one d four rounds. I like that better. It comes back. I mean, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, but you can, you can, you just walk it off. Yeah, you so, walk it off for for probably what's going to be if you're if you haven't been taken down first round. Mm-hmm. You're that's probably the rest of the encounter. Yeah. Now I want to drop the amount that it heals. If we okay. do that, if we do that, because that mechanic is incredibly powerful. The it could be the very easily could be the. Thing so you want to go back to the two d six. Yeah, two d six, two d six, composure, endurance. Nope, no endurance. I want to take endurance All off. All right, I want to do two d six plus your composure, and they get to ignore the condition that they just got for one d four rounds. All right, I feel like cool troop assessment. That's good. I feel like that also is more flavorful. Yes, that that is more realistic. Like you just convinced them that they could do it, and it's going to catch up on them. But that's your job is to is to at least get a move it again. They can hurt later. All and right, they will. Now that we've nerfed that. I want to talk about making not so fast better. Uh, yeah, let me <laughs> let me pull it up. The Citadel ability, yes. not so fast. Okay, that's in step one, and it's a, it's a per scene combat ability, mm-hmm. and the trigger is an enemy hits you or an ally with a melee attack. You get to swing at them, and if you hit them, the triggering attack is canceled. Yep. And then the enemy is immobilized until the end of the next turn. I would like to change this in two ways. Okay. I don't think you should be able to defend yourself with it. Okay. The reason why it works is you. They try to go for someone else, and, and you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're. No, no, I, I'm with you. I like, I like this idea. They yeah. come at you. They get to come at you. Yeah. But I think you need to be able to do it against ranged attacks. That you're up in their face, even though they would do a instead of doing like a shield bash, which can in- interrupt. Mm-hmm. You can do both of your things. Both of your things. What do you uh, mean? When you make an opportunity attack, you can either shield bash to interrupt the mm-hmm. thing that's going on. Or you can attack and do damage. Right. This is both. I think it already is both. It's... Because... It, it, so... Um... Here's here's the use case. Okay. I'm in a mage's face. He is casting a spell at an ally. Mm-hmm. I have to choose whether to hit him or to interrupt the attack. I should be able to use not so fast and go, I hit him and interrupt his attack. You can. Because... That is a melee hit. What you're talking about is an opportunity attack. It's opportunity action. Yeah. You're hitting them with your shield. If their attack hits an an ally basically if they roll in it and it uh-huh. it's going to confirm you then get to do not so fast as well no because it's not a melee attack that specifically says when an, and oh you or it says melee attack okay so let, let's let's make it the trigger is an adjacent enemy hits an ally with an attack. yes okay 
That's yeah. That's the only thing. Okay. Because it just there's a situation where sometimes it feels like you want to be directly next to the squishy person rather than directly next to the thing threatening them. Yeah, and you should be next to the thing threatening. Them. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe not. There's there's there should reason. there you should can be, provide cover. There should be other things that provide that, but not so fast. Definitely feels like something's in your face. Mm. It tries to do something. You say no, you don't. Also, extending cover to allies is something Citadel should do. <sighs> Like, you can do it by just standing in front of them, mm-hmm. but um, if you're using a shield, I think that's something that will... It should expand? Well, yeah, well, you... That should be... For, I think that's further down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, think, yeah, I yeah. think we'll save that in our pocket. I think that could be a good step five thing. You can extend You can extend your shield to work as cover instead of armor. For Like, you lose the armor benefit for it, but yeah, they... Yeah, because it's not in front of you. Right. But would they get... Well, we'll talk about it then. It's like, would they get the armor? Would they get the armor? Or would they get the cover? I think they get both. I think they would just get the cover. Well, it just becomes harder to hit because you have to get around it. But as soon as you get around it, it's going to do the same amount of damage. Well, if it's a step five thing, what if it's both? What if they they get the two armor from your shield and they get cover? You lose both of that. Like you, you. Well, you're only losing two armor. Yeah. Actually, I like the idea of just further down the line is you have a shield, you get cover and armor. <laughs> yeah. You're harder to hit, and you get. Oh, I like that. Keep that in our pocket too. Come here. Yeah. Ah, Citadel's so much fun. It Citadel's is. So Citadel's much fun. great. All right, and and now a uh, buff, another buff for Citadel. I think that warding strike. Mm-hmm. I want to introduce into the into the game the concept of stances as a thing. I know I we do that for zealotry. We we do it for champion. Their daily oh, puts yeah. them in a stance. I, I think I think we can treat that for um, Citadel and zealotry. I want warning strike to be a stance mm-hmm. where you you strike and keep your weapon poise, poised, and if they disengage, it provokes an opportunity attack from you. Right now, you have to hit them for that to be true. I don't think it, it doesn't make sense that you have to hit them for that to no. be true. I think you just do this hit and you dare them to disengage, and you still get an opportunity attack against them. So you enter this stance until the end of your next turn. Yeah, like the flourish of the strike isn't that you you attack weird; it's that you come out of it in a way. Where they you get you could easily hit again. Yeah, hit or miss, you're in a you're in a position yeah. to punish them for movement. So I think warning strike becomes a, an attack that puts you in a stance until the end of your next turn, and that's already the case for their other ability, vicious obstacle. Yeah, where they extend their threatened range so that enemies can't pass through something next to them. You don't you get to to make an attack, but whether or not it hits, that already it happens. just does. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that's appropriate for Citadel. There is a bunch of other stuff like not so fast. That's not a stance. Sacrificial no. dive is not a stance. No. Um, but immovable object, kind of a stance, right? Yeah. So if we put that as a stance, they can't, so immovable object is a move action where you brace yourself. I think if we say that that's a stance, they can't have done warning strike. Because they can't stack. Right. I, I think that's appropriate. Yeah. So even, even if you're a Tectani and you can take two attack actions. Yeah. Can't, no, can't you stack. Choose your stance. Until. Well, I think, like, I think the a only. Good, people... A good, a good feature might eventually actually be like. When you when you do warning strike, that stance now lasts two turns. I think the only people who be can great. be I think the only path that can be in two stances at once has got to be zealotry. That makes sense too. Later on, yeah. So zealotry now I want to make them. So right now all of zealotry's abilities is if I hit you on my next attack, it does this extra thing. Uh-huh. Well, that requires double the investment of attacks mm-hmm. to get the an effect that's only worth one investment yeah and if you miss like I, I can i can easily see the zealotry player spending way more momentum than anybody else just to make sure that their effects land to give them even the opportunity to do the thing that they wanted to do the thing that next turn their their <laughs> path does yeah. Yeah. yeah like without it you're just missing hurts them more they don't have any crazy bonuses to hit they, they can be in you know aspect of 
you war. Know, war or hope or whatever to buff certain things. But I, I, I don't think it's appropriate for them to have to have hit. No. It, it, it mechanically, it's it's punishing for that to be true. And they're going they're going in their combo. When you watch movies and you know a guy throws a punch and it misses, you could still throw the next punch. The whole again, it's the whole idea is yeah. that you're chaining together a series of events. Yeah, you're you're doing a dance. Yeah, like it's like this is gun kata. Like he doesn't have to have hit the guy to move into the next move that does the extra effect that he wants. Sometimes the miss is to get them in the position to make the next hit. Yes. So I want to I want to change all of them. With maybe, okay, I think with the exception of renewing assault, where you put the, the heal over time on an ally, how is that a stance? Because it happens immediately. You do the attack and it lands, an ally starts gaining heal over time. Well, then, the, then that doesn't work for the other mechanic that we're talking about too, which is delayed gratification. R- right. Well, it's delayed gratification in theme because of healing over time, yeah. but not for... Not for the effect. Right. So I, I, I don't think I want to change... Renewing Assault, that's core zealotry. So core zealotry, the reason why I don't want to change it is let's say you don't want the stand stance mechanics, right? You go core zealotry, you get the aspects, you get the favorite aspect ability, which lets you switch stuff in combat, and you get Renewing Assault. Then you can just go champion, and you never have to deal with the, nope. the other stuff. I think that's fine. Yep. But now we get into just zealotry step one. Zealotry step one, you get Prayer Strike. Your next attack heals two allies within five spaces of you for half the damage it deals. I think that, I think you don't have to hit. Nope. I think you, you do it. If um, you do the strike, whether or not it lands, it only matters if your next attack lands. Like, you wouldn't spend momentum on this one, but you would spend it on the, the next, next one. one. Yeah, to, to, to deal the double damage. And then the next one is Gong of Travel, which is your Perseen ability. You may teleport four spaces on your next turn as a free action, and your next attack damage is ten tiers higher. So I think that's... Just make those stances. Hmm. I think... Um, the, the ability is the setup for the thing that you're going to do next turn. I think... For the Gong of Travel, maybe for you to teleport, it has to hit. You can do it immediately. Maybe if it lands, you can immediately teleport. Okay. But regardless, your next attack is 10 tiers higher. I like that. That's good. Because the, the only difference is on your next attack, if you teleported, you won't have to move. But now, if you if you missed, you got to move. Yeah. But you're still 10 tiers higher. Um, and maybe incur a tax of opportunity. It's a way, yeah, it, it, it's good. I think that's a good balance around yeah. it. I think that's, that's all I want to do for buffs and nerfs at the moment. Okay. Because we did bring up one other thing what was last that? play session, which is rapid fire and interactions. I think I want more people for that discussion. Okay. Because because Max has done it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my, my thought is is I think we restrict to range weapons. Um, I, have, I, have, I have very lot to say in opposition to that. Sure. Yeah. No, I, 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 I by the way, I think I <laughs> probably agree with all of your points. Yes. And then I look at the numbers and it's just fine. <laughs> like it, it, what damage does a longbow do? A longbow can do so. The best longbow, uh-huh. which you have to meet the strength requirement, does a D twelve. The is, problem is there any is there any range attack that also does like the problem isn't the damage. The problem is the secondary effects. Okay, because if I'm rapid fire and contagion, I hit four people, which is immediately in one round I could have everybody with contagion on them, mm-hmm. which is that's way that's terrible. Like if I'm a tick. By the way, if I'm a tiktani, mm-hmm. death mage. That means I ha- I've I've put malediction on four people. And I can immediately cast Shadow of Death, and they all start their turns in it, and they take a D4 plus four composure plus malediction. It's it's too much. It like that's that's the problem. I'm not. It's not the damage. There's no there's no single ability that does more mm-hmm. than a D12. But just imagine. Okay, imagine Esmond mm-hmm. Rapid Fire does a D10. Uh, or sorry, is it D8? D8. D8. Fine. But there's no reason that splash damage doesn't come off. Yeah. 
And that's four. Yeah, four damage. You do it twice. You've done eight undodgeable damage to potentially six extra characters. All right. We're also going to really talk about splash damage. You can't do the math that way. It just never actually happens. It's, it never happens. It hasn't <laughs> happened. But but I also want to buff splash damage in general. I, yeah. I, th- I think I think I, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure it needs to be buffed. But it's just when we start talking about it and calculating mm. you, the idea of using potential six, like thinking about potential six enemies, three. Well, you really can only really start thinking about three. That's why I think I want to make it so that splash damage attacks deal more damage to larger targets. That'd be great. Because then, but then, but then the math always it's still relevant. Yes, because that that's going to happen more often, and it still matters. You want it to matter. So, but that's the th- those are my reservations about it. Because there's also like Ice Lance slows you. Yep. Boom. <laughs> like you know, D12 to two targets, and they're both slowed. That's that is so much better than what Marksman gets. Yeah. Like it. Then I think the easiest thing would be to allow that to happen. You don't get secondary effects. You don't get to use. I think then what's the point? <laughs> you know, like just doing raw damage. I guess. Because yeah. sometimes, sometimes you're not looking to slow someone down. You're looking to kill them. And that's right now, I think that's one of the problems with our casters is the secondary effects, the control uh, is great. But if you're looking to just do the, the most damage in a single turn, mm-hmm. you're not going to range for anything. Like even close oh, for for a caster. Yeah, there's there's no. not a lot there's not a lot of artillery fire for them lately, and I and I don't want their their no, at wills. Nobody has played ice. Yeah, but I don't is. I don't want their I don't want the at wills to to be that good with those effects. That's true because the effects are just monstrous. Yeah, the well, I feel like then I, I kind of just want like I don't the benefit of rapid fire is I think too confusing because removing secondary effects and doing all this like it's just an enormous headache for anybody playing and because to be perfectly honest when marksman gets extra effects i want them to benefit from it yeah and it's easier to do that if i don't have to make like it's easier for the player to understand if i don't have to make like hundreds of caveats about what can and can't do it it's just like it works for you have to be using a ranged weapon like you can get ranged weapons with so so he yeah got, he got an, a weapon with extra ice damage let him have it okay that's the, a secondary the, effect the only argument against it is i don't like limiting the interplay between paths because then it there like there's already a a, a semi hard line between uh, melee and range characters. Mixing them has mixed results. There are there are builds that work. I, I, there's okay. a lot that don't. I think you are you're looking too early in the path. You you think that's true because it's at level zero. It's true with fire weapons mm-hmm. with the created weapons from ice. You can create yeah. ice bows that yeah. do ice damage and and still use rapid fire because they're a ranged weapon. Yeah, um, you can like people can enchant them with fire to do extra fire damage. This doesn't limit any interplay. If 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 my if my first if if Nin mm-hmm. if my if my death caster was core death step one marksman she's landing death malediction damage on everybody she shoots at with rapid fire yeah i i don't think there's any interplay that's limited i think just the specific effect of using rapid fire for that for 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 casting your at will abilities that it is a power on balance and to correct for it is too much work and it's way too confusing then it then it just seems like marksman starts sitting on its own a lot more compared to something like the interplay between scoundrel and champion which feels very natural at zero with very like you don't have to do anything <laughs> i i think if you if you don't want to use a bow why are you in marksman because nothing else interacts with it in that way if you're if you're not using a ranged weapon there's no reason to go down step two in marksman step three step four like there, there's just no reason to and i think that's a problem really because yeah if you're if you're because a- the again all right 
let's just start picking random melee classes and just this many steps this, this many steps that, how they interact, mm-hmm. and what fun you can have with them. Unless you're making a a dual character at that point, mm-hmm. someone who does two very specific things that don't really interplay, I think you're you're missing out on, on fun synergies that happen with stuff like Champion and Citadel and Scoundrel and Champion and Zealotry and, and anything. I, if you don't want to use a melee weapon, why would you ever go step one Champion? Literally just for the challenge bonus. That's core champion. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, so, okay. If you don't want to use a melee weapon, yeah. why would you ever go step one champion? You wouldn't, and that's fine. But if you are a melee, it would always make sense. Yeah, but okay. That Then you've, you've just made the same argument backwards. No, okay. So now you're a range character. What would always make sense to take? With, what would, with always, range, range what would weapon? always be useful? Always. Well, I mean, uh, marksman would always be useful, but so would scoundrel. And so would any, any of the... Uh, Magical classes. So would Zealotry. Zealotry would be useful. Zealotry would always be useful. That's yeah. also another... You can cast spells through your bow. Yes. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I guess I've not seen the issue. I'm, I'm, the issue is that it, it shuts off a lot of different things where, where you'd have to be switching weapons to be using your different at-wills. If you don't go... Well, okay. This is All this is true for Champion. All of it. No, I don't think it's true for Champion because if you're Citadel... You don't change weapon to use overwhelming strike. You okay. just have overwhelming strike. It's just it's there. It's another thing in your toolbox. Right. Where to, if to use rapid fire and you're a mage, gotta bring out your bow, which is not that big of a deal. To use overwhelming strike, you have to bring out a melee weapon, unless you're already a melee character. But I'm, you're, I'm, no, no, I'm no, saying I'm, you're 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 special pleading against this when it's if if I'm a mage and I and I'm just casting spells mm-hmm. from a distance. Let's say I have a staff, or I've got two wands, or whatever. Yes. If I want to use overwhelming strike, I have to pull out a melee weapon. Yes. That, that that's the same argument. No. It okay. Isn't okay. Let's... It isn't because we're talking about we're talking about if there is a line, there's a line between ranged and and close quarters characters, and there are definitely going to be hybrid ones that do both. Sure. But the melee characters interact more naturally than the range ones do currently. There are there are currently two melee specific characters there's citadel and champion i would say scoundrel works both mostly mostly melee though uh well yeah they have the the tripping strike but you can poison your arrows you can you can uh you can deal uh you can't deal sneak attack but that's core we're talking about step one interactions all right so you you can you can still do um yeah scoundrel is mostly is mostly melee okay so we got we got three we got we got three melee one full hybrid which is zealotry zealotry is definitely hybrid and uh and four ranged i I would say radiance also just weirdly splashes into everything but that's just Mm -hmm. because it's really good (laughs) well radiance has no melee stuff whatsoever so we have four ranged characters yeah four ranged characters one melee range hybrid and three melee i don't see a problem i just want to make sure that they're the the path interactions you get to use all of the pig yeah, I think I think you do. I I don't. I honestly wanting to use rapid like wanting to to fire off a second shot with your spell like it's a cool image. It is so unbalanced that correcting for it is just not worth it. It's not worth it for us making doing the work of of balancing it, and it's not worth it for the player trying to interpret the rule changes that we do to balance it. Like I I I, I really I just don't see it being ever worth it. Like even when even when Chuki was doing it, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't functionally useful. And I think I think a good way to uh, like it, it seemed like it was a good idea at the time to do it, but the extra damage wasn't worth it. I would say last night Max does the double the mm-hmm. the rapid strike the two d twelves. The flavor of you getting the d twelve instead of the d ten damage is that you choose not to move, so you focus. Yeah. How the fuck can you do rapid rapid fire with two d twelves? It's not you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And 
to even address all the different reasons, like mechanically, he shouldn't be able to do that. You have to write all that in. And it's just not worth it. That's good enough at a D10 every time because it slows the target. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's not. Mm-hmm. I just also want the natural interplay between range characters to be smoother and not require you to shift things or have extra items or, all right, or well, go all out in that. I mean, that's why Zealotry is there. Zealotry is there so that I can take core I, step one I, step one Zealotry as a told in and cast that spell through my bow mm-hmm. or choose to do rapid fire. Does that make sense? Yeah, but there's just an extra step there. Yeah. And it's... That extra step is worth it. because oh, it's Because great. the effect is so powerful of you having to... Like, otherwise, you'd have to put your bow away. Yeah. Yeah, so so if you want to do that thing, you need to pay at least some cost. I, I guess I, I just don't... It, like, the, the... I feel like it's true for champions, so it's true for marksmen. Anybody who's, who's going step one champion as a marksman or any of the other three ranged characters has to put their ranged weapon away. Yeah. Right, and... Uh, and Because it's a different... But for me, it's a difference between going from a range to a melee focus, which f- do not function the same way. So a character that I was going to play that I threw out... Yes. ...was a hybrid. He was core fire, mm-hmm. step one champion, uh, step one marksman. So core fire, step one, step one champion, step one marksman. He has a high dodge, he shoots things at range, and he pulls out his sword to attack. Mm-hmm. So the interplay of, m- of me deciding... I have to I have to make a decision about what I want to cast with. Like, do I want to cast with with my hands? I have no zealotry, so I have to put my weapon away yeah. to cast a spell. I have to draw a sword to use it. I have to draw a bow to use it. The fact that you can drop any of these weapons as a free action and draw it as a swift, I think, solves this problem. If you're dropping your weapons all over the battlefield, yes. yeah, that that sucks. But you've you're making decisions without that cost is relatively minor, given how the flow of battle goes that's still not the argument like I, I really feel like we're not arguing on the same point okay the the fact that you get to do you get to switch between three very different styles of play mm-hmm. and things you can do to me doesn't feel this uh, the the idea that you are a marksman with your spells seems like a much more natural thing just like it seems like a much more natural thing to be a well-armored knight who can in time of need rather than than do their normal thing mm-hmm. deal extra damage I, Even though it is definitely less good. I don't think the mechanics of our game support that argument. Because you cast with intelligence, not dis- not dexterity. Isn't intelligence used to hit also with ranged weapons? No. All ranged weapons? No. Then why did Slish have a bunch of intelligence? Because it's it's a damage bonus. Oh, okay. Because it's predicting where the target will be, and then dexterity is, is making it reach it. All right. So the intelligence is, is how well you can cast the spell in the moment. And it's just going to... I think you don't aim spells. That's that's the thing. You don't aim them. You pick a target and you cast. And the spell goes to them. And they can try to dodge. But you you basically just decided on a target. If, if that makes sense. Okay. Like, you don't really aim uh, Rogue Star. <laughs> no, know? I believe that, definitely. <laughs> I mean, you pick an area, you know, roughly. Like, it, it goes down. Like, Dexterity is not going to help you with this one. That That's another mechanical problem is then adding intelligence as a casting stat for double strike, you know, like, or for rapid fire and stuff like that, where we don't even bother with double strike. If Zealotry has an effect uh, that happens at range and they want to go step one marksman or step one champion, I've got a one-handed crossbow. I, don't, I just don't think it translates. It, I think this is a line i got to draw on the sand for now unless there's some sort of mechanical justification for it. Because right now the mechanical justification is I think it's the fact that everybody who's tried it was using fire. And fire needs to be buffed on single targets. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, uh, I'll say, like, I'm not shutting the door on that idea. It's just right now seeing the road ahead on it, it's 
Oh, no, I, I, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah, when we are planning secondary effects that will kind of do the same thing later down paths. But giving them something like... Um, because we just created uh, the, the the fancy arrows, mm-hmm. the idea that you could switch between them. And Scoundrel gets traps where people can cast spells into them. If you could do something like that with your arrows... That would be cool. Like enchant your arrows and stuff. Well, you just use them as the damage and then you maybe get a secondary effect of your at will. Yeah, I think... That would be a dam- That would be a slight damage bonus maybe on your spell or at least a better use case. But then you're... Yeah, you're you're giving up dailies and encounters for it. Yeah. No, what I think is you um, you put a spell into an arrow that when it hits it just the whatever the effect of that spell is happens at the location that it hits so you get to use your dexterity to, to cast hit. the spell yeah does that make sense yeah where, where you're, you're you're just delivering it through an arrow because the intelligence portion of it has already been done it, it's how well it's been cast is already yeah. loaded within the arrow so you you just throw it at them that's interesting that's a fun interaction that we could do um and it would imagine doubling that up where like fire, like you're also fire, so you then put fire, extra fire damage on the arrow. That could be cool. It's a fun road ahead for that. I'm actually, I'm, in, I'm, I'm most excited for the for the changes that this is going to make to zealotry. Oh no, the zealotry stuff is going to be great. Yeah, I think I think stances once we put them in, it's 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 going to make some things easier. It doesn't change the complexity of zealotry. No, it does for citadel slightly. Warning strike is more complex if you have to remember that you're in a stance. Yeah, but because it only lasts a turn, yeah. that makes it a lot easier to... Because it's less about combo and more about, mm. I just don't want this thing to move this turn. I don't think anybody will complain. No. <laughs> so uh, Especially not casters. Right. All right. Well, cool. I feel like uh, we covered a lot of ground today. Again, if you have any questions or just even GMing topics that you'd like to talk about, please you know, bring them up. Uh, hit us up on our Patreon, patreon.com slash RPGFS. You can you know tweet us at Homebrew Hombres. You can find us on Instagram at RPG from Scratch, all one word. And we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash RPGFS. Now, again, if you like this podcast, please tell a friend. The bigger this community gets, the better this game gets. And honestly, the faster it gets. Because we've heard from a couple people running little playgroups on it. And just the feedback that we've gotten from people trying to do it has been enormous. People just creating characters in their, in their spare time. And they have questions. Those questions are so valuable. And please support us on Patreon. The more patrons we get, the more content we can produce and at a faster rate. And uh, it just would it would be a giant help. Yeah, and, and uh, the more patrons we get, the more we can justify hiring artists to start fleshing out the world of our game and, and giving shape to the, the races and cultures and cities and monsters and stuff like that. So if, if you're into that stuff, please consider becoming a patron. There's a ton of other benefits as well. You get every fun conversation that we cut out of the episodes because it's not on topic. You get the character sheets we create. You get the rule books we create as we release them. And once a year, you get to ask us to murder someone. And for 10 bucks, you you get to create a custom NPC that will live in the cities that we're making that the players will interact with in our actual play campaigns. And for $1,000, you get to sleep with me for one night. Just adjacent. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably down for hanky-panky, but I'm going for it. Uh, Prostitution is not federally legal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, stay safe, stand watch, and get a full rest. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.